Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb, a scholar in the history of Judaism and the director of Jewish studies at the Spertus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. And I'm Modia Silva in Toronto, Canada, and I am a psychotherapist by day and a father and problem solver by night. I think you're a father and problem solver constantly, whether you want to be or not, but that's a good introduction. So Modia, today, uh, the, the way for people who haven't heard us before, what we're doing is going through the weekly Parsha, the weekly Torah portion, and discussing it in light of a specific midah or character trait. And we're using as our guide Menachem Mendel Leffen's Cheshbon Hanefesh, the early and very influential, even foundational work of Musar, the Jewish discipline of ethical self-improvement. So uh, this episode, I believe, is our fifth, because we are moving on today from the trait of equanimity to the trait of patience. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us as we make this journey. And we also want to issue a disclaimer right now. Modia and I today are both suffering from deficits of patience as we discuss the Torah portion of Chaye Sarah in the book of Genesis. Modia, I'm sorry to confess on your behalf, but we were talking before we turned on the recording, and that's true for me, and it's true for you too, right? Oh, it's very true for me this morning. Um, I have kids that I drive to school every day, and uh, and so that's a test of patience right there. And Especially if the school is how far away? Well, one school is 10 minutes away. The other school is 20 minutes away. And when one of your kids isn't ready, but you've got to leave to get the other one to school and the other one's like calling and calling her mother and saying, mom, can call dad and tell him he's got to smarten up. And I yeah. well remember these days. Right. I'm just a little older than you, but I well remember these days. <laughs> yeah. So, Modia, so, so it was actually, so can I just say, though, it yeah, was yeah. really helpful last night to reflect on, oh, David and I are going to be doing this podcast tomorrow morning, like now, on patience. And because it was so fresh in my mind while I was in the car, only driving one kid to school because the other wasn't ready, um, and then fielding all these phone calls, it actually was great. It was like, it was top of mind about patience. It's like, okay. There's no point disturbing my equanimity. Patience is one of the antidotes. If, As we learned last month in the previous episodes, um, Rabbi Leffen in Cheshbon and Nefesh lists three things as antidotes to um, f- losing your equanimity. And it's one of them is patience. Patience, order, and calm. And so maybe that's why in Cheshbon and Nefesh, his next... Um, his next trait, the one we're working with now, is patience. And then the one after that we'll start in four weeks is order. Right. Patience, order, and calm. And it's interesting that at the top of his section, section two on patience in Cheshbon HaNefesh, this is what he says. When something bad happens to you and you did not have the power to avoid it, do not aggravate the situation even more through wasted grief. I think wasted grief is such a great description of impatience. Genuine grief is when something happens either to a person or in a situation that 
means so much to you and that cannot be reclaimed. And that is a genuine kind of grief. But when you get all worked up about something that you couldn't change, no matter what, before or after the event occurred, then it's wasted. It's wasted energy. Yeah. And so um, I agree with that. I think when there's that type of grief, there's a burden. So if we look at the Hebrew word for patience, the term that gets used is savlanut, right? And a saval is a porter at like at a train station or, or an airport. So a saval is someone who bears your burden. They carry your bags. And so wow. um so savlanut one well over the next four weeks we'll look at different understandings of the term savlanut of of what patience is from a Jewish perspective. Um, the one I'm mentioning right now is something's happening that is causing grief, and I have a requirement to bear a burden, whether it's the burden of you or yours or the burden of mine. And then, yes. to your point, I need to have discernment to know whether the burden I'm bearing on my shoulders is worth bearing or useful to bear or not. Absolutely. And that is the bearing of a burden is why the words savlanut and sovlanut are so closely related. Savlanut being patience, sovlanut being tolerance, right? Patience is a kind of tolerance. It's a kind of bearing of a burden and developing the discipline not to kvetch about having to bear it or doing the bearing of it. So let's think about um, this in relation to the Torah portion. This is another one of the hugely eventful and multifaceted parshiot dealing with the emergence of the patriarchal and matriarchal uh, narratives in the book of Genesis. Of course, it's called Chaye Sarah because it comes uh, on the heels uh, of Vayera, uh, at the end of which uh, Abraham goes one way and Isaac, having apparently survived the Akedah, the binding, goes another. And the next thing we learn is that Sarah dies. And the rabbis say that Sarah dies in shock, that her soul flees from her body when she hears what Abraham has done or almost done. But then the Parshak moves on to the story of Abraham now advanced in years, making his servant Eliezer swear that he will go and find a bride for his son Isaac from among his people. This is a long journey with an indeterminate end. Eliezer lays out very specific criteria by which God will show him the appropriate woman for Abraham's son Isaac, and things unfold from there. The unusual part about this Torah portion is that not only does this thing happen, but we have a long narrative spoken by a relatively minor character in the Torah. And part of what we get to do is we get to re-experience the entire narrative after it's already happened from the perspective of one of the people it happened to. In the Torah, long monologues, if you will, are usually reserved for the primary characters in the books that we're reading. Eliezer never really appears again, and yet he plays such a central role in the furthering of the lineage uh, that 
that he uh, he gets this starring role in a scene. And I, the reason I'm going through all this, uh, besides helping our listeners understand what we're what we're reading today, is from a reader's perspective, it takes a certain amount of patience to re-experience the story you just experienced. We hear we first are along for the ride as readers in the story of Eliezer meeting Rebecca. And then he goes to the house of Levan and retells the story all over again. What do you think about all this? Well, I, I think it's quite apropos for a discussion about patience that I hear a story and I've heard it one way. And if I slow down and I introduce patience into the environment, and then I hear the story a second way, whether it's from the same presenter or a different person, a different angle, um, I might just actually hear it very differently. So one of my Musa teachers, I was in a Musa vet for a number of years, and uh, my teacher would fly in from Israel once a month to Toronto to run this vad, this this group, this Musa group. And, um, and we would say to him, it's such a long trip and it's wearing down your body and you're away from your family for half a month every month. Why don't we just do it by technology? You know, Skype, Zoom. Zoom wasn't around back then, right? So by Skype. And he said that in the Musa tradition, it's really important to hear it directly, slowly and directly. And so his teacher, Reb Shlomo Volbe, who was the last of the great Musa Rebis who survived the Second World War, he was his teacher. And so my teacher would read the Parsha, the Torah portion, and he'd go, okay, I've read it. I think I understand it. And then he'd sit in a class with his teacher, Reb Shlomo Volbe, and Reb Volbe would just read the Parsha, no interpretation, no dropping down to say, this is what Rashi said. He would just read the words out loud and it would blow my teacher away. And it was like, I never heard the Parsha like that ever before. I never understood this particular word or this sentence. Or He was just reading the words. That's amazing. I love that. And part of what I love about it is that uh, the direct and unmediated experience of hearing this read aloud, which is really how it was composed and how it was shared for centuries before, right? Before, uh, as far as we know, ever being committed to writing, that it is a strongly oral tradition, delivers to us um, messages, impressions in a way that neither commentary or silent reading really do. The other thing that's interesting to me about it as a scholar who studies memory a lot is that we've, we read one version right away and, and right away we hear another version. We hear the version from the perspective of Eliezer and they're not identical. The narrative of the story and Eliezer's retelling of it are not exactly the same in every detail. And this is important because it shows us how the experiencing of something and the revisiting of something are always different. Perspectives from one person to another are always different. This should help us cultivate patience, because if we realize that not everything, when we realize that not every, when not everything happens to us, that we are not the center of the universe, that there are multiple perspectives to any event, it should help us cultivate patience for the people and situations and relationships in our lives that try our patience. I think so. So 
Um, going back to the example I gave from my stress this morning. Oh, well, not really stress, but. No, no, we'll call it stress. Okay, okay. There was a degree of stress. Um, <clears throat> is that my daughter had a particular view of reality. And I had a particular view of reality. And then my wife called me in the car and shared with me her view of reality through the eyes of my daughter. So already it's the memory, the story, the narrative has changed already a couple of times. But, but what it did was allowed me to take a breath and include the other, include my wife and include my daughter in my, in my narrative so that I could step back and go, okay, maybe I can actually bear the burden of my daughter right now, going back That's to the idea of Savlanut. Yeah. I but, sure hope your daughter appreciated your ability to bear her burden, although maybe in that particular moment she didn't. Well, in the moment she didn't, but I was able to talk her through how to get to school. She knows how to get to school by herself, but I was able to stay on the phone with her, help her out of the house, get her up to the street until she recognized houses, and she knows how to do it. But how old just, is she? Uh, she'll be 13 next month. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. uh, but it was the idea of shifting, like when you talk about memory and shifting narratives and shifting perspectives. Yeah. I think by slowing down and cultivating patience, you can more easily bear the burden of another. And I think this is really important when we dis kindness and patience are really intimately related. I learned this all over again from the person of Rebecca and how she exhibits enormous amounts of both kindness and patience. When Abraham's servant Eliezer shows up after a long journey, and I just want, if I can, to read in English from uh, a little bit from uh, chapter 24 of Genesis. This is uh, Eliezer comes to a well uh, in the evening in the city of Nahor, where Abraham's people are from. And he said, and this is verse 12 chapter 24. And he said, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, grant me good fortune this day and deal graciously with my master, Abraham. Notice he's asking not to be graciously dealt with himself. He's asking on behalf of his master. Here I stand by the spring as the daughters of the townsmen come out to draw water. Let the maiden to whom I say, please lower your jar that I may drink and who replies, drink and I will also water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have decreed for your servant, Isaac. Thereby shall I know that you have dealt graciously with my master. What Eliezer is seeking is not only somebody who is, uh, who, who exhibits patience through kindness and generosity. <clears throat> he's going to ask for a specific thing, and he's going to see if she goes beyond what he has asked of her. He had scarcely finished speaking. This is verse 15 now. He had scarcely finished speaking when Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The maiden was very beautiful, a virgin whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. Now, let's just pause again to note, this is hard physical labor. Mm -hmm. Women are carrying large jars on their shoulder, going down into a a sort of pit, a well, a natural well that's filled with water 
filling the pitcher so it's exponentially heavier, hauling it back up and doing so, uh, uh, as we'll see repeatedly. The servant ran toward her, this is verse 17, and said, please let me sip a little water from your jar. She has no idea who he is. Drink, my lord, she said, and she quickly lowered her jar upon her hand and let him drink. When she had let him drink his fill, she said, I will also draw for your camels until they finish drinking. Quip, quickly emptying her jar into the trough, she ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. And so we Rebecca, know, we, know that camels, we know that camels can drink a lot as well. So she has to go down repeatedly to water his 10, I think it is, camels into this pit, fill a jar, come back up. He hasn't asked her to do it. She's done it. And in the commentary to the JPS Tanakh, it says in the commentary to verse 16, Rebecca is described as beautiful and chaste, but her distinguishing characteristic is her kindness, offering to draw water not only for this stranger, but for his train of camels as well. Then it goes on to say, and this is where I want uh, what to know what you think about this. Abraham and Sarah, for all of their pioneering religious achievements, were sometimes insensitive to members of their own household. Rebecca's kindness and generosity may have been what was needed to correct those family dynamics. I ask for your thoughts on that as a therapist and a father. Well, I, I, I'm stumped because where, where do we learn... I'm going to push it back to you a little bit. Where do we learn that Abraham and Sarah were deficient in their kindness? In the way that Abraham uh, tries to pass his wife off as his sister. Uh, in the way that Sarah sends off Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, and maybe among other things. Okay. Those are just the ones that occur to me right off the top of the bat. And then, of course, famously, the Akedah, right? Good dads don't bind their children for slaughter, literally or metaphorically. Right. Or good dads don't go do it without telling their wife what they're going to go do. Um, let's add that to the list. Absolutely. Uh -huh. um, so maybe it is very interesting because in your JPS translation back on verse 14, I think you said something about you've shown you've shown grace to your master. And um, and the Hebrew is kiasita chesed im Adonai, Adonai that uh, chesed is kindness. So it's interesting that JPS sees a link between kindness and grace. And maybe that, in terms of patience, is one of our requirements, is that to develop patience, yes, we need kindness, but, we need, but it has to be on a foundation of grace. And maybe it is. Um, she was a batula. She was a virgin, right? Whatever that meant or whatever that is supposed to mean, maybe whether it's literally or metaphorically, um, maybe there is like a pure, a pureness or a purity of thought that's required to develop patience. And she had it, meaning that she just, I don't care who you are, you need to drink. I don't, care, I don't care that these are camels, they need to drink. Yeah. And let's not forget that, you know, in the world of the, of the ancient Near East, for even though there were other people around because it was a communal setting, a well from which water had to be drawn, for a woman, to a young woman to be kind to a male stranger bore what wasn't a, a, an activity to under, be undertaken lightly. It was right. fraught with, with danger. 
Uh, she showed no fear about that. And I think chastity then is also as exactly as you pointed out, a kind of mindset of purity and forthrightness. Of course, in the ancient Near East, women who were virgins were highly valued, who had not been with a man, but uh, it here indicates a spiritual elevation, a spiritual purity as well, as evidenced by kindness and patience. But I wanted to ask you, I'm I'm fairly familiar with the with what the Christian tradition means by grace, and I think of the Hebrew word for grace as chen. Mm-hmm. What is the concept of grace, and how does that relate to patience in the in the in the Jewish tradition? Oh, let's tease that apart then, um, because I struggle. I I live in a mixed neighborhood. And so I hear from like my Christian neighbors, they talk all about grace. And I always thought, oh, that's very Christian and we don't really have that. But of course we do. We have it as chen, right? Um, I don't have a Musar answer. I just have my own sense of watching people in my neighborhood who are good Christians who seem to be filled with grace. And things just sit, like you've said it, they seem to be in flow. They seem to just move through life without uh, confusion and complexity. And I think it's also intimately, in the Jewish tradition, intimately related to kindness, because it indicates a kind of flow of blessing through you, a kind of latitude for others. Uh, And in Rebecca's case here in this parsha, it is always doing more for others than is expected of one. It is a spirit of physical and spiritual generosity that permeates everything that you do. And Eliezer knows exactly what Isaac needs. He knows Isaac. He knows the kind of person that Isaac is going to need. Isaac is clearly a scarred uh, and gentle and contemplative individual. At least this is how the rabbis interpret him through the sparse descriptions of his actions. And so he's going to need someone who is full of these abundant qualities of kindness, patience, and grace. The actions that Rebecca undertakes immediately indicate to Eliezer that she could be that person. Actually, um, so it's interesting because at the very end of the Pasha, we we see that when she comes back to meet Isaac, that Isaac is in the fields meditating. And I always think about, so here's a guy who actually needs a lot of space because he's in the field by himself doing his right. thing. And and so maybe he needs someone who has that abundant kindness. And so she is a perfect match for him. And maybe, as you say, like with kindness comes grace, with kindness comes patience. Or at least yes. at least it's the foundation for right we it's interesting that you mentioned meditation that is commonly accepted understanding of what he's doing it's it's the the ver, the 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 phraseology of it is la suach basadeh isaac was out in uh, the fields um la suach basadeh and this la suach uh, is a verb that has several different shades of meaning, one of which could be sort of chatting or conversing. Um, the suggestion being that Isaac prays or meditates verbally and communes with God verbally. So we get the picture of someone, and this is one of our first pictures of him after the binding, 
of someone of great spiritual sensitivity. And as you noted, Moja, somebody who needs some space, right? Literally physical space. The idea that he's out doing this toward evening makes the rabbis consider him the progenitor of evening of evening prayer. Um, that the activity that he's doing lays the foundation for evening prayer. But he is also clearly someone who, and we find this out in later sections of the Torah, is someone who needs a great deal of patience um, to sort of be dealt with. Rebecca has patience for him, but in the end, she seems to sort of lose her patience with him. And as I recall, Rebecca is one of the matriarchs whose passing is not remarked upon in the Torah. She sort of disappears from the scene. I want to ask you, do you think there is a connection, a Musar connection, an ethical connection for us between the way Rebecca devises a means for uh, hoodwinking Isaac uh, and saying, look, don't do this in the normal way, giving bestowing the blessings to Jacob and Esau. She connives a little bit. She loses patience with the whole situation. And then she vanishes from the scene. Are we being given implicitly or explicitly an ethical lesson here or am i reaching um an ethical lesson so <clears throat> so we're jumping ahead of pasha no with the blessing um, but we're, 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 we're sorry but i hear the question i i hear the question though i i wonder if it comes back to um in the last episode with alan marinus we talked a lot about discernment the need for discernment and um, I wonder if that's what it comes down to. So just to go back to that sentence that you quoted, uh, which is chapter 24, verse 63, it says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field or to do something in the field, uh, not Arev, at the uh, in evening, when right, when it was evening. And Rashi says. Yishbach Sicho, that he pours out his prayer. He says that he says that meditate in that sense from Bereshit Rabbah means prayer. And then Rashi says that he pours out his prayer. So I wonder if there's this connection between with pouring. That earlier on in the Pasha, we see uh, Rebecca pours water for everybody. And Isaac is now pouring out something, his soul. He's pouring out his grief. He's pouring out something. And both of them require discernment. She seems, maybe she's, um, maybe she's the extreme. She just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. And maybe he is more um, contemplative about how much he pours and what he pours. But maybe, yeah. I love that. And I, uh, go back to the the elemental qualities of water. There's a the famous story about a midrashic tale about Rabbi Akiva, who thinks he can never be a Torah student until he sees a drip of water wearing away a rock. These qualities of water of always finding the lowest place, right? Water always flows to the lowest place that it can, uh, and it's qualities of uh, eternity, sort of, of being able slowly to make massive changes in even the most durable quality. 
suggests this kind of flow uh, that you are talking about. And the imagery around um, Rebecca and around the verb lasuach, as you note, indicates a kind of pouring uh, that ties Rebecca and Isaac together under sort of the sign of patience. I think it's a beautiful observation. But I want to ask you, if you don't mind, I love asking you questions and just sort I of know. putting... Ah, no, it's good. Really Wait, but before you do, before you jump ahead, yeah. so so then to answer your previous question, or to think about it more, is maybe with the twins in in the future Pasha, when she does something and then disappears off the scene, maybe she lost her discernment. Maybe her generosity, her chesed was too great, and it clouded her judgment. And she actually made a mistake, possibly. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to learn that, right? With every meter, including patience, that you can have too little of it and you can have too much of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the question I wanted to ask you as we sort of parse this parsha and uh, explore the symbolism of it, uh, I want to ask you, just practically speaking, what do you, you know, you've, you've talked, we've both talked this morning about how we lacked a little bit of patience coming into this conversation. We'd both had, um, uh, you know, uh, events happen this morning that tried our patience. And maybe this is a good note to end on, which is what are you going to take away from this today? How is Chaye Sarah and the characters and narratives within it going to help you with your patience? Okay. And I'll answer the same question. Yeah. So at the, at the very beginning, this is what I'm thinking. At the beginning of the Parsha, it's only the second sentence that we learn that Sarah died. And then Rashi makes the connection between the binding of Isaac and her death, that it was a sudden shock. So there was an event that happened that she had no uh, prior awareness of, and boom, it happens. And then there's a suggestion that it, it killed her, basically. Right? Yes. And then, as you pointed out, we have this long narrative told twice about uh, about drawing water, about finding Isaac's betrothed, and and so whether I think whether the event is sudden or whether it creeps up on you, there's something in in that that there's a, maybe a different way to respond with patience for each one of those that we can't just say, okay, I'm just going to develop patience and then it'll help me with just regular moment-to-moment -moment experiences, and it'll help me with sudden um, challenging experiences. And then, so that's that's my first thought. I want to pass it back to you. And then I actually want to share an exercise, a Musara exercise that we could maybe work with this week. That would be great. To me, the imagery in this Parsha of water is punctuated by things that happen suddenly. Part of our problem with patience is that we want things in our lives to proceed at a steady and predictable pace, and they rarely do. At the end of this long journey, the Parsha says about Sarah, I'm sorry, about Rivka, Rivka, uh, Rivka et ena eneha, veter e et yitzchak, vetipol me al hagamam. Rivka saw him, and the, and the translations usually said she alighted from the camel or she got down. The verb suggests she fell off, right? 
Mm -hmm. There is a deep shock, the commentators seem to suggest, of recognition. Um, and, and part of what's really important about patients here is that we are often, our patience is tried when the pace of life and the ingredients of life suddenly change. But that's what life does. If we enter each day knowing that things will surprise us, it will help us with our patients. The second thing is that at the end, Isaac takes Rebecca into his mother's tent, and it says, and thus he found comfort after his mother's death. There's a lot going on there, which uh, we won't talk about, but but one of them is uh, in the classic sense of masculine and feminine in imagery, I want to suggest, and this is not about sex or gender, it is about the sort of Jungian concepts of masculine and feminine, that patience and water have strong feminine energies that patience is about an expansiveness and receptivity and yielding the desire to shape our fortunes at every instance of every day. So my two comments at the end here are related, and that is things ain't always going to go the way you want, and you have to fully receive them and go with the flow. These are the ways that we cultivate patience. Okay, now you give us an exercise. Okay. Wow. Okay, and then I have to go back and play this back that part because that was that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. Thank you. That was brilliant. Um, <clears throat> okay, here's the exercise proposal. <clears throat> One of the things that you just alluded to was the need to build awareness through slowing down. I think, and. Um, one of the types of psychotherapy that I practice is called somatic experiencing. It's mm -hmm. a it's a trauma therapy that really requires the, the client to slow down so much that you can actually see moment to moment, not just your thought process, but your emotional process and your body sensation process so that you can then with awareness exact some change. So here's the proposed exercise. Every day, you know probably that there's going to be a situation that you're walking into that is going to test your patience. Maybe if you have young kids, for those who are listening, maybe it's walking into their room first thing in the morning to get them up for school when they're going to go, oh, no, I don't want to go to school. Or, you know, or you're going to work and you know you're going to have a challenging peer you know, co-worker that you have to deal with or whatever it is. So what you do is you know you're walking into a potential lion's den. You stand outside that den and you tell yourself for 120 seconds, two minutes, I'm going to bear the burden, whatever that burden is. And then you walk into that situation and bearing the burden means that no matter what happens internally in your body, what emotions come up or what thoughts come up, they're not going to leave your body. You're not going to speak sarcastically. You're not going to roll your eyes. You're not going to yell or throw stuff, you know, whatever, whatever you're you basically just ruled out all my major means of communication. <laughs> so for 120 seconds, you're going That's a to long time when you're dealing with that stuff. It's wow. a long, it is, it is right. So two minutes, you could start with one. If two minutes is too much, start with one 60 seconds, okay. but you walk in and you're a showmare, you're a guard for yourself and you are going to bear the burden of whatever suffering emerges in that time. And then after two minutes, then you can yell at someone. Or... I love so that's that. It. I really Every love day. 
That Never. is the that is the placing a, a space between the match and the fuse of which we have spoken. Yeah, absolutely. But in the real situation, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to try that. And we are going to come back next week, having found a situation in which to do that exercise. And maybe uh, next week, um, you know, when we're uh, discussing uh, Toldot, um, we can we can talk about how that exercise went for us and how it changed our week to do it. Sound good? That's that sounds great. And I also, as a precursor to next week, um, Cheshpan and Nefesh talks about patience in a very different way. Yes. We've just spoken about today. And so maybe maybe we'll try and understand his thought process. Yeah. His process is really interesting. It's yeah. true. We didn't touch on that much. So we get to do that next week. Yeah. We want to thank you for listening along with us to this episode of self-control through Torah, in which we sort of discussed Parshat Chaye Sarah and the uh, Midah or character trait of patience. Thank you so much. And we hope you'll join us again next week. I'm David Gottlieb. And I'm Modia Silva. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.